If you travel, you know how to really go off the grid. Like no cell service in your room, off the grid. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths, sound baths, and ice baths. Because when you set up your out-of-office, you mean it. Because when you're the escape artist, vacation is all about resting, meditating, drinking water, and minding your own businessing. The Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I defy anyone to name. If you look at the history of that San Jose State track team, there's never been a college track team with as much talent. Writer and podcaster Malcolm Gladwell is famous for his best-selling books, The Tipping Point and Blink. As a teenager in Ontario, Gladwell was a competitive runner and went on to become a Canadian record holder. And so, while we like to get into favorite teams, not all sports have teams, but all sports, like track and field, do have huge fans. Malcolm's latest podcast, Legacy of Speed, revisits the legendary San Jose State track program of the 1960s, where the coach used some highly innovative techniques to develop a team of runners who gave San Jose a new nickname, Speed City. Two of those runners, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, would make history as the Olympic medal winners who raised the Black Power salute to protest racial injustice in America. Gladwell's new podcast explores how these athletes became the best in the world on the track and how they paved the way for the current generation of sports activists. As a writer and podcaster, Malcolm has had quite the run. I'm LaChina Robinson. Those sweet, funky sounds you hear are the Budos Band. And this is Huge Fan, the podcast where stars talk sports. Now, please welcome Malcolm Gladwell. Olympic sprinters, huge faith. Thank you so much for joining us on Huge Fan Podcast. We appreciate you taking the time. I am a huge fan of your work. So <laughs> it's an honor to be here with you. Um, and we are going to talk about Olympic track and field and a little bit about you, a little bit about your career and obviously your new podcast. So let's jump into it. Um, right away, when I learned that your mom was Jamaican, I started to make this connection of, oh, maybe this is where the track and field influence came from. Obviously, Jamaica's history and track and field and success well documented. Is that where you would say the influence came from? Weirdly, no. It's my father, who's English, and I was a he was a little bit of a runner when he was young, and I was a middle and long distance runner um, as growing up. So I, you know, the English are the middle distance runners, the Jamaicans are the sprinters, and I fell on the English side of the um, of the equation. But um, but I do have cousins in Jamaican, distant Jamaican cousins who um, who were one of them actually was on the Jamaican national team at some point. Um, so there's running all around in my family. That's awesome. Really cool. You got it on both sides. Um, what do you remember most about watching Olympic track and field events as a kid? 
well, you know, we didn't have a television. So the only way I could watch Olympic games was to go to a friend's house. So I get little snippets. I remember a little bit of, you know, I grew up in Canada. So the 76 games were in Montreal, of course. So that was a huge deal in Canada. And I go next door to the, um, I remember watching Greg Joy, who was a, the Canadian, best Canadian high jumper who um, got a silver medal in the high jump, which, you know, in Canada, a silver medal is considered to be an, an enormous achievement when you're a tiny country. Um, I remember uh, uh, John Walker winning the 1500 meters because I was a big middle distance runner myself. Um, and then uh, snippets. And then I sort of, you know, I, I, I didn't follow, um, uh, I kind of fell away from track for a couple of years. And then when Ben Johnson, the Seoul Games, which I guess are 92 or 88, I've forgotten. When Ben Johnson wins 100 meters later, his medal was stripped, of course. I, I sort of, when, when Canada surged back in the sprints in the 90, 80s, 90s and early aughts, um, uh, that's when I sort of really got back into international track and field. You mentioned that you were a middle distance runner. You were one of the fastest teams, in fact, in Canada. You're not giving yourself enough credit. Give us some insight as to like those early days of learning how to run and, um, you know, just the journey to being one of the best. Yeah. Well, I was one of the best for in my age class for two years. So it was a, a very, as a, as a minor. Not very many people can, can, can say yeah. that. That's quite an accomplishment. <laughs> um, I didn't, well, you know, it's funny compared to the way this is in the seventies. One thing I'm struck by is how little we knew in the seventies about training and staying healthy. And um, it seems like a different world. I mean, we were wearing these you know, today we had these elaborate $200 sneakers, running shoes that we wear. Back then we wore these like things that that's amazing. You weren't, you didn't get injured after one run. Um, and we, you know, we never did any weights. We didn't do, we barely did any kind of like, it was just a sort of, we just, we just kind of went out and ran. Um, I didn't do, I did all speed work, very little mileage. I mean, it just was, when I look back on the kind of training I did as a kid, it's amazing I ran as fast as I did. It was just kind of, everything was by the seat of our pants. Um, and, but I, what I do remember, and I, is something that has, is unchanged about running, which is, um, you know, paradoxically for a individual sport, it's incredibly social. You know, it's the, the most fun thing about running is training with a group of people and going out for a long run with, you know, someone you like and someone you want to chat with, or, you know, doing a track workout with a group of people who are all roughly of your ability. Um, that is a kind of, there's a kind of joy in that, that I, I never forgot. Yeah, that's an excellent point. That's actually what drew me into sport. I'm a former basketball player. And I remember as a young girl, I didn't really care about basketball as much as I did. I wanted to hang out with my friends. Right. So it was like, kind of like this social opportunity, but then fast forward, I got to attend my first Olympics in Tokyo last summer. And when I was at the track and field event, it was amazing. The level of support that athletes from different events would come and give each other, like in between, I always say that track and field meets to me are like organized chaos. Cause there's an event happening here. There's a final there and there's a, um, but I mean, they were making up cheers for each other and, you know, the high jumpers were supporting the sprinters. And I, I, to your point, never realized that such an individual sport has such a huge team aspect. 
Yeah, there's incredible camaraderie because you know what everyone else has gone through. I mean, I think that it's the same. You, I mean, I observed that same thing, like in if you you know watch the NBA, and these guys they do have a special bond across, not just within teams but across teams, for that same reason. You know, it's they know just how good someone else is, or how hard someone else must have worked, or how difficult something that someone made look easy really really was and that just gives you a a heightened level of respect for your competitors and were you ever good enough where you felt like the olympics were in the the picture for you like was that ever a reality no it's funny you know as a kid i was you know i was a canadian record holder in my age class when i was 14 and i won the canadian national championships that's when i was 15 or 13 i've forgotten one of those years Oh, set the Canadian record when I was 13, when they won the national championships when I was 14. I never thought I was going to be Olympic. I was always skeptical of my achievements. I thought they were kind of, I don't know why. I just never really, I looked around at people who I was beating and I thought, you know what, I won't be beating them next year. I never had any confidence that, and I didn't like racing enough. To this day, I, you know, I, I've now started running competitively again, but I really, really don't like racing. I like training. Um, and you can't, it was really a, clear to me that even at that age, that to be a great runner, you have to really, really, I don't know whether enjoy is the right word, but you have to have an appetite for racing. And I just just didn't, it made me too nervous. I, you know, I, I just wasn't that cut out for that kind of, of competition. And I was aware of those around me who were, who really, when there was a race going on, you know, they were all there. So I, I sort of understood that I didn't quite have the psychological um, makeup to be a great racer. And that's, you need to have that. There really are two types of athletes. And I feel like I was more like you, where I was so much better in practice than I was in the games. And I completely believe that that was the case for me because I would get nervous. Like I just didn't deal well with the pressure. Right. Like I was a starter. I would work hard. I would earn this position, but I just felt like it never translated well. Who are some of the more impressive track and field athletes for you? It could be middle distance. It could be, but like, who do you watch? Who did you watch then that, you know, you looked up to, but then who really impresses you in this more recent generation of runners? There's a bunch. There's some really, really, really exciting uh, women runners right now. Um, you know, I mean, there's a whole long list, but there's a, a Scottish middle distance runner named Laura Muir, who I just adore. I mean, she is, she has a kind of ferocity in the way she runs that is so inspiring. And she just puts her head down and just kind of charges. And she was, she won the uh, silver medal at the Olympic games. Um, and uh, it was just one of, it was the most thrilling game of the, a race of the games for me. Um, there's a bunch of African uh, middle and long distance runners who are, you know, uh, Faith Kipion being one of them who are just head and shoulders above everyone else. They're just so, I mean, they've just kind of reinvented women's running. No one knew women could run that fast. They're fearless. They're, uh, there's a, um, uh, there's an American half miler, Athingmu, who is, She's, I mean, what is she, 19 or maybe 20 by now? And she's just like, she's she's phenomenal. I feel like watching her the way that uh, it, 
must be like when someone saw LeBron James as a 14 year old or, you know, Magic Johnson as a, you know, when you glimpse someone at a really young age and you're like, oh, that there, I've never, there's no one, there's, there's never been someone like that before. Um, she's, she's going to reinvent, you know, the, 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 the half mile. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Game Day. We're going to change gears and move into Game Day. How do you... What, what do you like to do when you're watching middle distance runners? Are you, do you put on your outfit kind of sit in front of the television? Like, what is your, what is a game day? Like I get nervous. Do you? I'll get nervous. Yeah. I get incredibly nervous for them. And I'm imagining, you know, what it would be like to be out there. Um, I, I don't know. I just find it. And I'm, I get incredibly tense. And every time I see someone making a mistake, I, you know, I just think, what are you doing? Why did you do that? What are you, like, there's a, a, one of my favorite runners for years was a Kenyan named Ashbel Kiprop. And he was uh, super tall for, for a middle distance, six, four, at least the skinniest guy you've ever seen in your life. Like so skinny. It was almost like, and he had this kind of long, lazy stride. He was just for the long stretch he was, he won the gold medal on point. He was just better than anyone else, but he was tactically, he would make errors in races that would just, you were just like, what are you, Ashba, what are you doing? So it was painful to watch him. I would see him, I've just, and you could tell when he was just, and he'd lose, he kind of, there would be, there's a couple of key races where about halfway through, you could just tell he was like, this is not my day. And your heart, my heart would go out to him. And I just like, but he, yeah, he was. So there, there is that. I'm, I'm, I, I'm enormously empathetic um, to the people who are, particularly the ones who are struggling or getting, um, getting their butts kicked. <laughs> well, and since you are maybe a little bit on the nervous side, that means you're not throwing any parties. You don't have a, a crowd around you when you're watching. No, you have to I be don't. alone in that space and focused in. I don't want anyone around me. No, no, I have to focus. I, uh, yeah, it's too calm. And also, like. The, the most exciting races for me are some of the longer ones, stuff like the 5,000 meters. So that's going to be 13 minutes. And it's hard to find other people who are going to be as gripped by a 13-minute long race as I am. Yeah. Um, so if you're not going to be, if you're going to be chatting and 
middle of it, I don't want you around. <laughs> Go somewhere else. I wanted to get your thoughts on um, Shakari Richardson. Um, obviously, a rise to stardom like not very many we've seen, and then her getting disqualified from the Olympics due to testing positive for cannabis. What were your thoughts when that happened? Oh my God. First of all, the idiocy, these guys drive me crazy. One, why is cannabis on the prescribed list? It's not a performance enhancing drug. If anything, it's the opposite, right? It, so, you know, why are we lumping that with, you know, steroids or uh, EPO or some thing that really is, you know, uh, disrupts the, um, the integrity of the sport. The reason to have drugs on the uh, prescribed list is that we're trying to protect the fairness of the competition. If you are doing something that does not jeopardize the fairness of the competition, it should not be illegal, right? Point number one. Two, she had a reason, a really, really good, compelling, moving reason for why she was, she was incredibly stressed. I, I don't want to, you know, relive that whole thing, but she had this kind of incredibly stressful family thing that happened. And she turned to, um, in that moment of crisis, she needed something to calm her down. So whatever, she took a little, a couple puffs, you know, did she know that that was against the rules? Probably, but you know, I don't think there's any reason for us to be robotically um, uh, applying the rules here, particularly when the rules, this particular rule is stupid. Um, more generally though, uh, I love her. Why? Because track and field needs that, those kinds of electric personalities. Um, and you see when in any sport, whenever someone comes along who has genuine charisma, it has the, you know, like Bolt, it has the, it has the potential. Magic Johnson, we forget that when Magic Johnson comes along, the NBA is in the doldrums. The ratings are way down. The teams are worthless. They're, everyone thinks it's just a bunch of guys who were, you know, have, you know, are, are snorting crack, snorting crack in their, in their spare. I mean, it's like, you can't imagine how the difference between then and now, um, and part of the way in which the sport re rehabilitates itself is that someone like Magic Johnson comes along, who is so enormously appealing and charismatic. And, and she's the same, she's in that, in that mold. And the idea that we would have applied this stupid rule against someone who has the potential to save track and field just drives me to distraction. You know, I've just done this um, podcast, Legacy of Speed, about the 68 Olympics. And and about the famous protests, it's the, the uh, social justice pro protest there by um, Tommy Smith and John Carlos and Lee Evans. The amazing fact that came up in our podcast, that, um, it's almost the premise for the podcast that I can still can't get over is that uh, the, the three athletes at the Mexico City Games who protested, John Carlos, Tommy Smith, Tommy Smith, who won the 200 meters and set the world record, Carlos was third. And then Lee Evans, who won the 400 meters, also set a world record. Those three guys and Harry Edwards are all from the same school. They're all from San Jose State. The whole thing comes out of San Jose State, a school that no one had even heard of up to that point. So there's like, it's like, this is what made the story so fantastic. It's like, it begins in one little commuter school in Northern California with, and it ends up having reverberations around the world. It's kind of, uh, by the way, there's almost never 
I defy anyone to name, if you look at the history of that San Jose State track team, there's never been a college track team with as much talent. I mean, a, a college team with as much talent. You could take your best, you know, uh, Pat Summit teams at Tennessee or your best UNC teams. And I, I will tell you, there's not as much. They don't, they were so many world record holders that came out of that tiny program at San Jose. They had no money. They had this brilliant coach um, named Bud Winter, who was just like, who reinvents sprinting. And they had these firebrands like Harry Edwards reinventing how we think about sport. I mean, just, it's just an insane story. Yeah. Well, we're glad that you're telling it and that I couldn't have asked. Uh, I was going to ask you about the, the podcast, but um, what a great intro and in, in promo for it. I know it launched on Tuesday, June 14th. So legacy of speed uh, for our listeners. If you want to hear more about San Jose state and everything that came of um, that program and, and came from San Jose, just incredible history around sport and um, activism. And of course, one of the things you quickly realize when you go back and and research that story as we did is the Olympic movement historically was ruled by, I mean, I'm putting it nicely, not the most progressive set of people in the world. You know, we're talking, in fact, the guy who's running the Olympics for between from the 40s to the 70s is basically a I think calling him a racist is um, probably an understatement. He's just about as nasty a character as you could imagine, who has this absurd notion about what the Olympics are and who regards any, any athlete who tries to acknowledge the world outside of sport, he thinks is a threat to the Olympic movement and wants to expel them from the games. I mean, he, when those three guys, when Tommy Smith and John Carlos famously raised their fist on the victory stand for the 200 meters in Mexico City, um, this, you know, this moment of iconic moment of racial protest, um, they get run out of the games. I mean, it's a miracle they held on to their, to their gold medals. Um, you know, that, that was considered the, the head of the Olympic Games at that moment, Avery Brundage, calls what they did an act of violence against the Olympic Games. I mean, this is, this was 1968. This is the moment of maximum racial turmoil within the United States. We're one year away from the summer of 67 where there were 329 race riots across the United States. I mean, the country's in a, in a mess and there's some young, thoughtful black men all from the same college, San Jose State, who don't feel, who feel they can't walk away from their moment on the platform, the moment when they have the world's attention. They feel it would be a moral dereliction not to use that moment to bring some attention to their cause. They are brave and they are courageous. And what do they? how does the world of sport respond to people who are trying to tie sport to the world in which sport lives in? With the, 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 the people like Avery Brunch, the IOC respond with horror and indignation. It's like, you realize like, and by the way, nothing, has changed, nothing. Look what happened to Colin Kaepernick. All the dude did was to go on, on a respectful knee during the national anthem. Didn't ask anyone else to join him. He just said, this is my, I take my country so seriously that I, I need to do something to acknowledge what's going on in the rest. And, the, and the football goes nuts. 
nuts. It's one of the reasons why we wanted to tell the story of the 68 gains, because it's the story of 2022. It's not the story of 1968. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Crunch Time. We're going to close out with our Crunch Time uh, segment where I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions, Malcolm. And I just want the first answer that comes to mind. Okay. Got it. Greatest Olympian alive. Usain Bolt. Best Olympics movie. The movie the Nazis made about the 1936 games is the most disturbing and the one that it really shows you what uh, what can be done in a dark way with the, with the power of sport. Best middle distance runner of all time. I'm going to say that Hickam El-Garouche, who's, who holds every world record in the men's 15. Best Olympics, London, Great Britain, Montreal, Canada, uh, Beijing. Well, the LA games back in- 1984, 84. That's right, 84 was, that was the best one because they rescued the games. How would you describe your Olympic track and field fandom? What word would describe it other than obsessive? So the word I would use, I guess, is, is my growing Olympic. It's growing is the, every year I watch them, I'm interested in more of it. Well, thank you so much, Malcolm. It was an honor to speak with you today. I cannot wait to listen to this podcast. Um, just thank you for all the work you do. And I just love that you're such a big sports fan. Like now this is just, you know, getting to learn this side of who you are. I knew you were a brilliant man, but I always connect with people through sports. So it's been great to, to have this conversation with it you. It was lovely. Thank you so much. You can find Huge Fan on Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other huge fans can find us. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. That'll do it for this round of Huge Fan, the podcast where stars talk sports. I'm LaChina Robinson. Until next time, keep rooting your guts out. Go Budos Band! Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh... 
<laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.